Welcome everyone to the In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather around to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, a commercial litigator with Wombleban Dickinson. We're excited to be recording another episode here in Austin, Texas, during the Association of Corporate Counsel's 2018 Annual Conference. This is our second year here at the ACC. We've already recorded some great conversations, and I encourage you to listen to those. Uh, And we have some more good ones to come. Today's kind of a special episode because our guest is an alumni of Womble Bond Dickinson. Matt Latrick spent five years working with us in corporate and securities practice before uh, leaving us to go in-house with Morgan Advanced Materials. I understand that you are uh, Regional Council Americas for that group, Matt. We're happy you could join us here. Yeah, happy to be back. Uh, working with Womble. No, thanks, and I appreciate you taking the time for the podcast. Before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about Morgan Advanced Material. I understand you do a lot of different things in terms of ceramics, carbon composites, uh, everything from healthcare to the electronics Mm -hmm. industry. Do you want to tell our listeners just a little bit more about about Morgan Advanced Materials? Yeah, yeah, so we're a uh, global manufacturing company with um, almost 100 manufacturing facilities worldwide. Uh, There's 27 in the Americas, and we manufacture typically either building materials or you know, materials that get used and you know, in components or parts of other things. So we sell a lot into the aerospace uh, industry, we sell into the automotive industry, we sell parts that go into kind of large pumps, we sell a lot of ceramic materials. We have a specialty in kind of ceramic manufacturing, and we can manufacture ceramic bricks and ceramic insulation that get used in you know large industrial furnaces that get used in kind of fire protection for large buildings and then we can also manufacture almost microscopic um, you know ceramic tubes that get used in cochlear implants and you know medically implantable devices so it's you know from one end we can you know make you a brick on the other end we can make something that helps stuff people here wow um, so yeah it's it's an interesting company but a lot of a lot of fun working uh, in that environment no that sounds interesting so I imagine there's a fair amount of uh, sensitive information there in terms of proprietary formulations and other things yeah so uh, we're, we're definitely protective of our IP portfolio and we're also protective of um, even some of the materials we make and some of the processes are are export controlled so we have um, you know a robust compliance group and in place to, to make sure that we're selling to the right people and that we have a good IP team in place as well to make sure that you know what we're doing you know, truly is proprietary and that nobody else is you know, copying what we do. Gotcha. Do you use a lot of non-disclosure agreements? We do. Um, they are probably the agreement that I can say I do the most and probably the only type of contract I think I can confidently say I've done over a thousand of. Wow. Um, I'm Right now I'm probably doing about 15 NDAs a week, give or take, depending on how the sales force is, is out and you know in force. Um, and you get you see kind of all sorts of NDAs from companies. We have our, our forms that we like to use that I've got a lot of confidence in. But then a lot of times, being a supplier, we're being asked to sign our customers' agreement, um, and that can kind of run the gamut of something I would consider a good NDA or something that I would consider not as good. Great. Yeah. Well, and when we were talking in advance of the show, I think that uh, I think NDAs are something almost all general counsel have some experience with. Mm-hmm. I, I doubt there may not be that many that are dealing with thousands sure. of them. But I thought it'd be a good topic for us to just you know spend a moment talking about kind of the thought process of how to draft one, how to negotiate one. Mm-hmm. What are what are some of the ins and outs? Um, yeah. You said you've seen a lot of different ones. Mm-hmm. Are it sounds like they're not really very standardized. That you get a you get some variation in. 
the inform. Yeah, it's um, you always are told that it's the standard NDA, you know, and right. you know this is standard. This shouldn't be not. You know, this is non-controversial. Everybody else has signed it, and then you you can read through it, and sometimes you'll find weird provisions that you know you really don't want to agree to. Uh, sometimes there are things that are missing that I feel are sort of necessary to be in there. And knowing how to navigate the negotiation, you know, what should you kind of get worked up about? You know, what do you just sort of let slide? And, you know, you don't want to nitpick, you know, the other side's NDA either. Because from my perspective, you know, the NDA a lot of times is your your first commercial interaction with another party. And it a lot of times will set the tone for how your business relationship is going to go. So if, you know, the other side is trying to force their terms on you, you can get a sense that that's going to happen when you go to a sales agreement or when you get to the next level of an agreement. You know, if they're nitpicking your document, that doesn't set a great tone. If you're nitpicking theirs, that doesn't set a great tone. But, you know, if the parties can act quickly, be reasonable, you don't expect anybody to be a pushover, you know, when you're negotiating it. But I think that sets a good baseline of the relationship of, you know, okay, we each can have some give and take and you can explain why you want this or why I want that. And that's a really helpful way to, I think, explain it to the sales folks and the sales force of, you know, not only is this protecting our information, but it's helping you kind of establish a working relationship with your customer. What's your thought on whether they should be mutual, meaning, in other words, have both sides use the same NDA as opposed to, okay, we'll sign yours and mm-hmm. I'll sign, you know, and, and vice versa? Yeah, I always like doing the mutual NDA because, um, for one, it, it provides some consistency of, you know, when you are sharing information, you know that there's you know, generally one set of terms that will control what's in there. You know, it's also easier to negotiate one agreement than two. You know, I would say probably 95% of the agreements we do are probably you know, either our mutual NDA or, or the other side's mutual NDA. Um, every so often, we'll get a customer that will say, we don't want you to share anything with us about your technology or you know, your processes. All we want to share with you are our drawings or our specifications. We don't want to have any obligation to protect your information. And I'm fine with that as long as our business knows that. And, you know, they understand that this is the customer that doesn't get a plant tour. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Briefly, and again, I think most people are familiar with it, but what would you say are the kind of the key business objectives? Why do you want the NDA? Because that may guide some Mm -hmm. of our discussion on, you know, the terms Mm -hmm. that you care about. Yeah, so I think the key business objectives, one, are setting the expectation of the parties that we are sharing proprietary information. You know, you're sharing either your your specifications for your product, we're sharing information about potentially pricing, our costs, our our manufacturing processes. You know, we want to have a collaborative relationship with our customers. It helps and it gives everybody a little bit of a, a sense that they can be more open, they can, you know, share that information in a more collegial atmosphere. And there's some formality around the NDA that reminds everybody, you know, this is not stuff that you go and post on the company Twitter feed. This is not stuff that you can go and, you know, use on your own. So it puts some formality around it. You know, I don't think our company has ever actually had litigation resulting from an NDA. So I... You know, I and, I, and I think it's fairly rare. I mean, yeah. I, I'm trying to, I've never litigated an NDA case either. So you mm-hmm. spend a lot of time negotiating. I mean, sometimes it might be thrown in as a breach when you've already got, you know, bigger mm-hmm. issues on breach of contract where, yeah. you know, it's it's included. But yeah, an but, independent action for violating an yeah, NDA would be unusual. I think they're pretty rare, but I, I still tell the business that, you know, if, if you guys are sharing a proprietary technology, you're sharing a manufacturing process or, you know, something, you know, on that end, 
um, and particularly where we are in the supply chain, where you know sometimes our customers are also potentially competitors. I do want that sort of break the glass protection of if I think somebody has just walked off with information that we've used or they've kind of blatantly you know violated it, um, we would go and enforce it. Um, I, you know, it's good to have that agreement in place. But I think for the most part, I look at them as you know you want to put some formality around that exchange of information. I think that makes sense. Do you typically see a time period where, you know, you agree you won't disclose for five years, ten years, or kind of unlimited, never never disclose? Um, yeah, so we get the kind of range of that. I, I typically try to push back on the sort of indefinite term, because I think it's difficult for another party to say what we're sharing with you is going to be valuable to our business 300 years from now. You know, give me a reasonable term. You know, if you're giving me your product specifications or you know some pricing information or something, you know that information will be stale in five years, ten years. Um, you know, our, you know, if I know sort of very little about the transaction, we're typically looking kind of a five to ten year range. Um, but I'm I'm willing to work with you and go beyond that as long as you're giving me kind of a reason of you know if this is a product that you say you know is going to be relevant 25, 30 years from now. I'm not opposed to agreeing to a longer term as long as we've got some provisions you know, and exceptions in the NDA that get us out of you know, those obligations if, if it becomes public, if it's no longer confidential, those sorts of things. Gotcha. What would you say are the most commonly negotiated or, I guess, you know, air points of disagreement when you're talking about NDAs? Yeah, so I think the very first one is what is confidential information? There's sort of two kind of schools of thought on that. and. One, I say, is sort of the go big, you know, everything we share with you that's confidential, proprietary, and non-public, whether or not it's marked as, you know, confidential and proprietary is confidential information that, you know, it's confidential unless it falls into one of the exceptions, you know, and that's sort of the big kind of approach to it. You know, the other is, you know, you have some parties that will say it's only confidential information if we have stamped confidential and proprietary on it. And I've even seen ones that have said it has to be in writing and you know, marked as confidential. Oh, wow. if, if you tell us, you know, orally, or if we see it visually on something, you know, that is not going to be covered by the NDA. So, I think it's fine to do either one of them, but you just have to understand what are we actually going to be doing. And if you expect that, you know, we're going to be having a lot of phone calls with, you know, our customer, I don't want to agree to one that you know requires it to be in writing. If we're going to have, you know, that back and forth exchange, I would much rather prefer having, you know some way to say, you know, information that's exchanged is still covered by this NDA, even if it's not marked. So I, I usually prefer kind of the, the go big approach to the definition of confidential information. So I think that's one. Uh, the term is obviously one. And then beyond that, I don't really nitpick over the exceptions. Um, you know, sometimes we'll get the disclosure to third parties is, is a lot of times negotiated of um, if, if I put in that I want to be able to disclose information to my employees or my affiliates employee employees or our attorneys or advisors or subcontractors, there's sometimes pushback of, okay, well, if you do that, I want you to go and get a new NDA with every with one the, of those right. parties. And I you know, don't think that's reasonable. You know, if I'm going to agree to be liable for their breaches, then you don't need me to get a new NDA with them. You know, some parties will say, look, I'm sharing information with you. I don't want you sharing it with anybody outside of your company or your affiliates because I don't do business with them. So I think that's another area that's kind of heavily negotiated. 
Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of protective orders in litigation mm-hmm. where, you know, you'll define, okay, you can share it within your firm or court staff or court reporter, but, you know, if you have an expert or some third party, you have to get another signature. Okay. Just yeah. trying to define where those parameters yeah. and, are. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a line drawing kind of issue, um, you know, and... You know, I, I use the example a lot of times that you know, with with our company, with a lot a lot of large businesses, it's very possible that you know your in-house counsel could be actually an employee of a different affiliate from the business that's receiving you know information. So I, I use that as an example a lot of times as kind of a justification of why I want to be able to share with affiliates or other third parties. But that's an area that I've I've gotten a lot of pushback before. Right. And is that in part because they, they're not sure who those affiliates are or the term affiliate suggests that, you know, kind of a vague, we own 10% of this company that owns 50% of mm-hmm. another company? Yeah. So there's usually a fairly, you know, I'd say standard definition of affiliate of, you know, some a party that you're under common control and sort of more than 50% you know, ownership of it. But I don't tend to nitpick, you know, those types of definitions. So if you're, you're willing to tell me, you know, affiliated business entities, and I can, you know, disclose it with that. There's, there's a little bit of a good faith component to some of these NDAs, rather than, you know, trying to make the document bleed and add in tons of definitions, and, um, you know, that most people are not going to go back and read to figure out exactly, you know, if it applies to to this affiliate or not. Do you typically put things like choice of law? venue, jurisdiction, dispute resolution, those kind of things that you might see in the, the actual mm-hmm. contract, do those go in the NDA? Yeah, so so we do and it's for me, choice of law and you know and venue are are likely never gonna be deal breakers. But I think it, it again sort of goes to the setting the tone of you know if I get your form and it's you know that you want North Carolina law in Buncombe County as, you know, the only venue, I you know will say, okay, I'm willing to bet you're headquartered in Buncombe County. I don't necessarily want to go there for, you know, if we do have a dispute, although I don't think we're ever really going to end up in court on this, but I want to see that you're willing to negotiate with me. So maybe we'll pick, you know, Delaware or we'll pick a more neutral um, governing law and leave venue silent, you know, for example. Um, There's a handful of jurisdictions. Um, We're an international company, so there are some countries that I'll say I'm either just completely unfamiliar with their laws or you know their system of law, and I'm not sure that you know this would be enforced there. So it's a red flag to me if you're picking, um, you know, yeah. various jurisdictions yeah. governed by um, the law of Sudan yeah. or something, yeah, or, or, something or California, or, or even California, yeah, <laughs> something crazy, California, yeah. Louisiana, um, one of those. Uh, you know, so so some of, some of those, I think, if you're negotiating with a lawyer on the other side, you tend to not you know get too worked up about those because they they can understand at least why you want to have, you know, an understandable right. choice of law. And I imagine to some extent it may be setting a precedent for, you know, often the NDA is the first step in a contractual mm-hmm. process. So yeah. I could see lawyers saying, well, let's negotiate, you know, this provision here, and then we'll just say same provisions, yeah. you know, in the final contract. So there's some, some tactics. Mm-hmm. What, what are some others that maybe have been points of disagreement or things that you think other in-house counsel might overlook? Um, definitely a, a number of things to overlook. I, I think, you know, there's a lot of red flags that I've been seeing in NDAs. So one of the, one thing that a lot of businesses do that um, is potentially a big trap is to not have NDAs reviewed by their legal department. Um, I've talked to a lot of companies and, you know, a lot of in-house counsel who say, no, I don't, I don't look at NDAs. Our, you know, our business folks, you know, handle that on their own. Sure. And, and I start telling them some of the things that I've, I've seen in NDAs where, I've seen, you know, in the last couple of months, 
intellectual property assignment provisions that are assigning all new intellectual property you know related oh, wow. to your relationship with that customer um, in an NDA. I've seen you know non-competes. I've seen non-solicits. I've seen one that was you know that we'll be sharing information about a certain product and you'll agree not to manufacture this product or anything similar. <laughs> um, so it was an exclusive main you know if we wow. sign the NDA to share information. Um, we are agreeing to exclusive manufacturing. So we'll, never, we'll never make that. Product. Yeah, for for another for a competitor. Um, I mean, wow. I've seen you know liquidated damages provisions, um, and then very recently, I've also been seeing uh, some provisions that um, are being referred to as residual information clauses that uh, are basically, in my mind, a big loophole in the NDA that will say, if it's information that you share with me, and after the NDA, you know, I get rid of it. If I can just remember it without kind of referring to the document you handed to me, I can use it for anything. Huh. Um, it's been justified to me before, or tried to be justified as, you know, well, you can't make me forget what we learned. And if it just becomes part of my general knowledge, then I should be able to use that in our manufacturing, our products. And in my mind, that's a, you know, Right. There, there are very few And you can get someone with photographic memory, a really good memory, who right. spends, you know, two days, you know, spends their time mm-hmm. simply memorizing stuff. Yeah. That, that, uh, that seems like a pretty big loophole. Yeah. And, uh, and then the other one that I'm always on the lookout for that I think every council, uh, in-house council, should be um, aware of is make sure that the NDA actually covers all the obligations that you would expect it to. So I've seen a large number of NDAs where you have a prohibition on disclosing information to a third party, but it's completely silent on the counterparty using information for their own purposes. So, you know, our our NDAs usually have a defined purpose, you know, of a business relationship between the two parties, and you have to agree that you won't disclose it to a third party or use it for anything other than, you know, the furtherance of our business relationship. Uh, But the number of NDAs that kind of overlook the non-use prohibitions is up there Um, and from the little bit of research i've done on actual litigation it seems that most of the time when it does get litigated it's parties breaching the non-use provisions rather than the non-disclosure side great that's good yeah that's a surprising uh variety there that certainly should be a red flag to anybody that's simply saying oh as long as it says nda on the top you can sign it yeah yeah wow that's pretty interesting um, do you ever get in circumstances where you know you're operating under an old or a bad NDA and you're trying to decide how you want to you know what your options are to renegotiate or adopt a new one? Yeah, absolutely. So we um, we have some customers um, where they come to us uh, for every new project um, we execute a new NDA. So we've we've had some where we've got twenty or thirty NDAs um, with legacy customers. A lot of times we've I've seen them where you know it's a poorly drafted one or we're not happy with it you know sometimes I will go to the other side and say we would like to mutually terminate the old one put something new in place um, so you definitely get that uh, on occasion where you have to kind of go back and review what you have I mean, we, we keep a spreadsheet of all our active NDAs that uh, we can at least search and find you know do we have one in existence and that's a good tip for in-house counsel as well is yeah. you know, figure out if, you know, do you already have one in place that covers what your business is trying to do? Um, because it can also be problematic if you have two active NDAs that both describe the information that's being shared. You then have a question of, you know, right, which, which one actually governs. Right, that's right. 
Um, you mentioned the spreadsheet. I was going to ask a little bit about procedures just for tracking. If you've, if you've got hundreds or even thousands mm -hmm. of them, where are they maintained? How do you know what you've done? Tell us a little bit about that, uh, you know, uh, the opportunities to kind of track and track yeah, and manage. So, yeah, so it's, I think you have to have, you know, some kind of process in place, you know, that works for your business. So for our business, we have decided that there is one admin who shall be in charge of keeping track of you know, executed copies of PDFs of NDAs, and we keep them on a server that we can access and pull copies of. Um, and then you know, it's her responsibility to you know, fill in kind of the fields on the uh, spreadsheet so that we can kind of quickly refer to that to figure out, do we have one in place? Do I, you know, can I get a copy of it to see if it covers what we're trying to do? Um, I know some other businesses have kind of more sophisticated software in ways that the individual salespeople can upload them and you know kind of put them into the cloud and things like that. And I, I think really it's you know kind of what what works for you. I mean we we try to keep things pretty simple so you know folks know how to email and they know how to attach documents and that's uh, that's worked for us. Would they also typically be in like the the customer or client file as well, or or is it just just maintained on that NDA? file on the server. Yeah, for, so for us, um, the businesses are responsible to hold all their contracts as well. So we have a number of different operating businesses and each site, if they're the one who entered into it, those people who are closest to the customer need to know that it's in place. They need to be the ones who are also informing you know, the engineers, the employees who are you know coming in contact with confidential information that what you're receiving from this customer is subject to an NDA. So we, we do try to have some processes in place to make sure that not only are we executing NDAs, but we're practicing you know, our obligations and we're protecting you know, our customers' information. And we expect that you know, when we sign them with vendors or customers and we're sharing information, that they're doing the same thing. That sounds good. I know we're about out of time. Do you have any other tips that you wanted to share with other GCs out there that may be less familiar with NDAs or trying to get up to speed on them? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, in my mind, you know, it's make sure that, you know, when you get an NDA, you're, you're being flexible, be responsive, you know, to the other side. I think it builds you a lot of goodwill with your sales team and with your, your business partners, you know, when you can turn the document quickly. And if you can limit the number of changes to a handful of sort of the big ticket items, um, you know, there's a whole host of ways that, you know, I've got my kind of favorite ways to word exceptions and differences in making sure that, you know, the language says when an NDA, you know, terminates or we, you know, we requested that not only is information you know, can be returned, but we can also destroy it rather than have to ship it back to you. Um, you know, I've got provisions that we have data backup systems that, you know, I try to usually include a provision if I have the ability that says if it's stored on a um, in a computer backup system, you know, for some period of time after you know we're supposed to return or destroy information, that's not automatically a breach of the agreement. Um, I've got little nitpicks, but you know I'm willing to sort of pass on all of my nitpicks if you present me an NDA that hits sort of the top five things that I care about and it seems reasonable. I'm not going to throw in a whole bunch of my sort of favorite things that you know are sort of the icing on the cake that would make it my favorite thing. But so I think, you know, be reasonable with them. Don't tear somebody else's agreement apart if it you know, generally does what it's supposed to do, but don't get rolled over on them either. You know, it, just because you're told um, it's take it or leave it, or, you know, that they send you it, you know, in a PDF and we can't edit a PDF. Right, um, right, you know, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, the, you know, there's, the, the old, I'm sorry, it's right. PDF. Then, 
you know, you, you need to read them. You need to make sure that um, you know you're not agreeing to something inadvertently that you know down the road could come back and bite you. Yeah, those are good tips. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much, Matt. I yeah. appreciate you sharing those tips with us and being here today. For listeners, just a reminder, you can subscribe to the In-House Roundhouse at iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. You can also find all our previous episodes at the Womble Bond Dickinson website. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to seeing you at the next station.